going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me is my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. We are here on the Athletic Podcast Network, so thank you for joining us. And the Buffalo Bills just went through their fourth game of the season and have also collected their fourth victory of the season, defeating the Las Vegas Raiders by a score of 30-23. to barely Matthew Fairburn hitting the over, but they hit the over nonetheless. I know we, we chatted about that. but uh, And the Bills' offense, electric once again on the way to a victory. And also the defense stepping things up in the second half, especially after a another curious uh, performance in the first half. So we'll be going over all of that, some specific individual performances. But how could we start anywhere else than the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, who is all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, over the first four weeks of the season, a bona fide MVP contender in the NFL and a budding superstar. Now, whether or not he can remove the term budding from uh, from that terminology remains to be seen, but... As the weeks go here, the sample size is getting larger, and with it, the evidence that he has turned a corner is starting to mount. So Matthew Fairburn, what did you see from Josh Allen today, particularly how he looked in the early stages of the game and even when he came back from his injury today? Yeah, I thought it was another really solid game from him. And I think probably the part, the element here that that stands out compared to other games, um, not entirely unique, but but pretty, uh, you know, it was most striking in this game is that he did absolutely nothing as a runner other than a one-yard QB sneak for a touchdown, which, you know, basically... Um, and, you know, you don't need to be an athlete to get a one-yard QB sneak for a touchdown. A, a lot of quarterbacks do it. He didn't need his legs at all. He didn't use his legs at all. He sat back in the pocket, went through his reads, and hurt the Raiders with his arm. And basically, since the worst, first week of the season, uh, when he had 14 runs for 57 yards, since that game, he's pretty much settled down as a runner. He had four rushes for 19 yards against the Dolphins, four rushes for eight yards against the Rams, and three rushes for negative one yard today, um, which counted a kneel down. But the fact that one of three rush attempts was a kneel down tells you all you need to know about uh, Allen's day. He did not use his legs. And two of his, his two lowest rushing outputs of his career have come in the last two weeks. So... He's no longer a quarterback that needs that as a crutch. And I think that's a pretty big deal because as good a weapon as that is for him and as as nice as it is to have for this offense when they need it, the fact that they no longer need it, I think is a a pretty, you know, big step for Allen. It's a big step for the offense because if he's going to last, and you know, we kind of saw this today, if he's going to last, sustain this success for 16 games and beyond and be a quarterback who can play for a long time, he can't take the big hits that he's taken as a runner in his first two plus seasons in the league. Now there's certainly arguments to be made. It's just as dangerous to stand there in the pocket. He's just as likely to get hurt in the pocket as he is, um, you know, out in the open field running. But we saw today, um, what happens when when he gets hurt in that um i'm sure everybody out there felt it um you know they 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 now have a quarterback who when he gets hurt uh it you know sends panic through the fan base he didn't even miss a play but for those 10 or 15 minutes when people were wondering um what was up with him you know i think there was some legitimate concern and that wasn't a run but it was one of those plays where he's extending the play trying to wait until the last possible second to make something happen, somehow made it happen with like a backhanded flip to Stefan Diggs. Uh, but those are plays he kind of needs to eliminate a little bit as well. And you saw it late in the game, standing in, taking a 14-yard sack, 
just because he had to stand back there and try to make something happen. He needs to learn to throw the ball away, but I think it's encouraging that he's learned to not rely too much on his legs because I think that at times, certainly there's the design stuff in the offense um, you know, that's part of their game, but sometimes the rushing is a, a mechanism for not reading the field. It's let me read one or maybe two guys and then take off if nothing's there. Now he's letting the entire play develop. They have the mm-hmm. playmakers to develop those routes and those plays, and they have a play caller who's on fire. And if Allen weren't being patient in the pocket and were taking off and running, a lot of these big plays probably wouldn't be happening. Yeah, and those those negative plays that you're talking about, those were the, at least from my memory, those were really the only two times where I'm like, okay, what are you doing here, Josh? But I think for him that's a huge improvement obviously because if you have two of those lapses a game from him that's that's so far removed from from what the guy used to be I mean it 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 almost felt like it happened once every series or once every couple of series with him when he was a rookie or even in the early stages of last season so that's a that's a huge improvement in itself and then you know it's he he does need to throw that that ball away when he knocked the Bills out of field goal range and took the 14-yard sack but he was also throwing the ball away earlier in the game and he's showing that he can do it he just needs to do it every time he's getting close to being able to do it every time but sometimes he just has those one or two plays where it's like okay all right, you you have to be smarter than that but there's and nobody there's does it to, every time right you know right yeah, there's there's nothing to suggest though that um <laughs> based on all the improvements that he's made over the last two seasons that he can't eradicate that close to completely. But in terms of the rest of his day, this was another special day from Allen and I still think for me if I had to rank the four games, I would still have Miami atop the list because like the dude was just feeling it and it was all passing offense all day and over 400 yards and just multiple huge plays, deep balls, huge, huge moments for the bills. Um, but this one was really darn good. And I think a lot of it had to do with how in control he was. And the one moment that it really hit me was when he was facing down close to an all-out blitz and rather than panicking like he has so many times before he immediately went okay we've got some pressure I wasn't expecting coming to me here's what I have as a as a quick option I have a I have a Stefan Diggs comeback route to my left I'm gonna hit that and get the ball out of my hands avoid a negative play and live live to fight another play rather than looking for something bigger that is such a huge deal for him because how many times have we seen him in the past in that same exact situation either panic and run around like a chicken with his head cut off or turn his back and take a sack we've seen it so many times and and that is such a impressive sign of growth and then you throw the accuracy on top of it he ended up going 24 of 34 right five of those incompletions were either a throwaway or a drop so when you remove those five for adjusted completion percentage he's up to 82.9 percent on the day which for a quarterback who we were a long time ago or what feels like a long time ago now arguing about if if this guy's ever going to hit 60%. I mean, the guy hasn't hit below 68% in any one of his four starts. He's at 71% for the season. And of course, completion percentage doesn't always equate to accuracy, as Brian Dable put it um, either last week or a couple weeks ago. But it's a pretty darn good indicator that he's feeling it, and he's hitting his receivers in target, giving them chances. That throw to John Brown was ridiculous that got him down should have been a touchdown that got him down to the one yard line um the throw to Cole Beasley that wound up being a touchdown was great um there were a couple of under throws but you know it's not always going to be perfect this performance from Josh Allen showed so many signs of growth again and it's just 
It's like where where did this guy come from? Because he didn't he did not show these signs of dominance at any point last year, and then all of a sudden the light went on. It's just a snap of a finger. It's it's this is like one of the biggest night and day quarterback performances from one year to the next. I can remember. I mean, th- this guy's improvement from 2019 to 2020 has been stark. And I, I don't know. Can you think of any that that have been that vastly different from one year to the next? Because I'm really struggling to find one. I mean, not. It doesn't happen all that often where a guy goes from pretty bad objectively, statistically, uh, not saying Allen was a nightmare last year, but he was below average as a quarterback. He improved from where he was as a rookie, but he was below average. It's pretty rare that a quarterback goes from that to this between, you know, like years two and three, as opposed to years two and three as a starter, as opposed to usually that first year as a starter, you're figuring things out and we see those jumps, right? I mean, um, in a way, Patrick Mahomes kind of came out of nowhere, but he did it. You know, that was the first we saw of him. Um, Lamar Jackson last year kind of came out of nowhere, but you saw those flashes more often, I think, um, you know, in, in Lamar early on than Josh. Um, when I was going through kind of analyzing how big of a jump, you know, he could make in year from year two to year three, just historically guys that had done it. Troy Aikman was a name that popped up. I mean, that was the early 90s. Um, Mark Brunel is is one, but again, he didn't play very early. Um, Jake Plummer is another one. Ben Roethlisberger a little bit, um, but he was pretty good. I mean, he was winning games. They just didn't open up the offense for him. And I think that's part of this too is that you get to a point as a quarterback where all of a sudden your team feels comfortable letting it rip. And that can really change your statistical outlook too. But there's not that many guys in recent memory in the modern era that didn't show, you know, that high end. I mean, the guy didn't throw for 300 yards in a game until his third season. Um, so the you could point to games like the Cowboys game or these random games where he had, you know, pretty good showings, but nothing like this. And, and I think it's interesting to talk about it now because last year or the last few years when we were waiting to see a glimpse of this there were people i think that you know were maybe thought we were overstating or maybe setting the bar too high or whatever it was but now that you see this i think you can see how far he came right you can see where he was before now that you see him playing at this level, it's just really striking to watch uh, and, and is certainly um, the type of leap that you just don't see very often. Now, in order to really uh, put him in the the sort of you know standing in history in terms of breakouts or whatever else, we need to see what the 16 games is because this could end up being, if he keeps this pace up, it could end up being uh, unlike hardly anything we've seen. But, you know, we'll see how it all shakes out after 16 weeks. This month or so that he's played has been certainly special. And I think to say it, in some ways it came out of nowhere, right? But that would also do a disservice, I guess, to the work that he puts in. True, uh, The right. work yeah. that, that Brian Dable and Ken Dorsey and Jordan Palmer and all these other people have put in. The work Brandon Bean uh, and Sean McDermott have done building this roster and, and setting up after messing up early on in Josh Allen's development by, you know, leaving him with only Nathan Peterman in front of him on the depth chart, uh, they figured out what they did wrong, got it corrected, and got him on a better path, showed the patience that you don't see a lot. How often are we sitting here in year three of a quarterback and they're talking about benching him or... EJ Manuel didn't even make it to the end of year two. They're already talking about Dwayne Haskins maybe getting benched in Washington. So the patience that you have to show to even get a guy to have a chance to have a year three breakout, um, you know, is a, another story altogether in this this NFL. So um, in in a lot of ways, it came out of nowhere. I certainly didn't see this coming, but uh, I think behind closed doors there were some pretty high expectations for this guy all along and 
you know, now they're now they're coming coming, you know, to fruition a little bit and we'll see what happens the rest of the year. I think that'll be it'll be easier to place it in his, in historical context when we see the body of work across 16 games, not saying he can't keep it up or he won't have Mm -hmm. a great body of work after 16 games. We just don't know how good it will be. And when we do, um, you know, we might be talking about this as one of the great, you know, leaps. It might be looked at as something that can, you know, other teams can look at and say, all right, if you're patient, if you do the right things uh, and you've got the right type of guy, uh, you know, you can have this type of jump um, after seeing some early struggles. So it's uh, certainly it's kind of crazy to watch, but he he's definitely a different mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, and it would be a a telling tale of how to develop a quarterback that would point to teams not really or they shouldn't half ass it by you know either switching coaches right after you uh right after you draft a quarterback or switch gms don't don't get too trigger happy with uh with switching coordinators or make sure you are fully believing in the coordinator before the the quarterback even steps foot in the door and then once the quarterback starts to show some signs then surround them with talent as they grow and and really give them the the room to make some mistakes along the way, but also learn from those mistakes. But I also think this is a lot of it has to do with, with situation, but um, I think even more has to do with, I suppose the, the work and the lack of ego for, from Josh Allen in knowing that, he needed to change specific ways of his game in order to get where he and the Bills wanted to get to at, for him as a starting quarterback. And that takes a lot. Not every person, period, could could do that, where you know, you're told, hey, you're not doing this correctly. Um, we need you to fix this. And to actually commit the time to, to doing those things and to taking that constructive criticism – and moving forward with it and then improving upon it in all of those different areas to where it's such a uh, where you look at the quarterback that he was back at Wyoming and to what he is even over these last four weeks even if it's just a mirage um, let's say it's just this four-week stretch and then he kind of drifts back into what he was uh, at the second half of last season even still that this version of Josh Allen compared to what he was in college, it's crazy to think about how far he's come. So it could be like a, a litmus test of how to build up a quarterback, but you also need the right guy. And and I think for the Bills, they are very happy that they have the type of personality and work ethic that, that Josh Allen puts into it. So, um, yeah, this is – it. It's stark, but I also think a lot of this, well, maybe not a lot, but you have to give a lot of credit to Brian Dable for how he's put this whole thing together. And he was under a lot of pressure this season, no doubt. I mean, this was the put up or shut up year for both him and Allen, probably more so for him because third year, they've got all these offensive pieces. They went out and they, they traded for Stephon Diggs. Devin Singletary was in his second season. You have John Brown and Cole Beasley at your disposal. They drafted another fourth-round wide receiver in Gabriel Davis that shows signs of life. I mean, all of these different elements. And your offensive line is mostly back together. And they've even improved it with with the signing of Daryl Williams. So a lot of pressure was on him to, to piece this whole thing together. And he has just been on fire all season. Um, I... I, I during the games I go through and I, I track who's on the field for every single snap. I, I do it mostly for snap counts, but I also like to do it to see personnel packages and personnel combinations um, within the offense and defense. And on offense, this is this is something that uh, <laughs> I think this might this might top it for Brian Dable. They the Bills only ran. 
30 real offensive plays in the first half. I don't really count the kneel down at the end of the first half as, as a real snap. <laughs> in those 30 plays, Brian Dable put together 15 different personnel combinations. That's ridiculous, especially when most teams um, settle on ha- having a lot of uh, camaraderie and and really just focus on having their studs out there. Yeah, for, for Dable, he's just mixing and matching as he's going along, but it's also done with a purpose. Every single snap that he has, say, an Andre Roberts out there or an Isaiah McKenzie out there or a Gabriel Davis or a Tyler Croft, it has a specific reason. And that's what has made Dable, in addition to the the progress that Josh Allen has made, that's what has made Dable so impressive. And even if this doesn't hold this, this um, incredible passing offense, I still think he's already on the radar of teams that, that um, would be looking for a head coach this offseason because of how far he's come as a play caller, the creativity he shows, the killer instinct that he shows. And yeah, this is this has been a home run by Brian Dable so far. And we've been pretty complimentary of Dable since since he's been here because you can tell the philosophy has always been there. Now he's putting it into practice now that he has the players. And um, it's they, they have a fun offense to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, I think he's going to get looks at being a head coach for sure. And, I, you know, it kind of leads into a question somebody asked during the game about whether Josh Allen is a quarterback who can survive losing his offensive coordinator, whether he can thrive under any offensive coordinator. And I think it's, you know, one of those questions that's really hard to answer because we've seen so many cases around the league where, you know, a guy thrives under one system and, you know, doesn't under another one. Uh, I think it would be a blow to Allen for sure if, if Brian Dable were to leave, but it all would depend on who they replace him with, how similar is the system. But not just how similar is the system, but how similar is the person to Brian Dable as a thinker uh, in terms of being willing to adjust the offense to what Josh Allen does well. Um, you can't have a Rick Dennison type, and not just the scheme, but just a guy that does not really adapt to what he has uh, and – have success with a player like Allen, uh, in my opinion. And I think that's where, you know, maybe it's, you know, an internal guy like Ken Dorsey or something, but you almost have to work under the assumption that if they keep this up, they'll lose Brian Dable. I don't know how you keep him. Uh, I would assume he'll get a head coaching look and I don't know why he wouldn't, you know, jump at the chance to be a head coach. That's what most of these guys want to do. I know he's a local guy and and everything else, and they could certainly give him a raise or something to try to keep him. But if he gets a pretty good situation to to have his own crack at running a team, that's you know why these guys get into the into the racket to you know be a, a head guy. So yeah, now you know that would eventually be a question that that this team has to answer about their quarterback. But I, I think it's a the type of thing where whether or not he's the quarterback who can thrive in any scheme I don't think that really matters because he's now the type of quarterback that would attract a quality candidate and the right type of candidate and because they've identified hired and seen one in person in Brian Dable a quality candidate and a good offensive coordinator I I wouldn't necessarily doubt Sean McDermott's ability to find that again the way this the way I did frankly when he fired Rick Dennison and was hiring a an offensive coordinator I didn't have a ton of confidence he'd find a good one because he didn't find a good one the first time around. Now that he's done it and seen it, I think they'd have a better idea. And like I said, maybe it's in the building already. Maybe it's you know Ken Dorsey. But um, certainly one of those things that'll be in the back of Bills fans' mind throughout the season because uh, you know that's a guy that that is going to get some attention. That that's what happens when when teams play well, especially on offense. Now it's not a guarantee. Uh, you know, there's a lot of boxes you have to check to end up being a head coach and you got to, mm-hmm. you know, nail the interview process and everything else. But Dable is definitely going to get looks. It sounded like he did fairly well um, when he interviewed with Cleveland too, with some of the reports that was coming out there. So uh, I think, I, I think he's prepared for that, but there's also a lot of intriguing 
offensive minds out there that could get a crack at it. You know, the enemy of uh, uh, of Kansas City is someone who has, quite frankly, needed to be a head coach be, with with the success that Kansas City has had, um, especially in developing or you know with how Patrick Mahomes has become one of the best players in the NFL. You know, Greg Roman is still out there. Greg Roman is is kind of the one I, I think about because. I think I I brought up the the Lamar Jackson parallel um, last week on the pod, just in the sense of, you know, it was around this time last season when Lamar was just going off, and you you wondered at the first part of the season whether or not it was just a flash in the pan, or or if if this guy was actually legit. And then the more weeks he racked up, it's like, oh wait, Lamar is really stinking good. That's kind of like the early stages right now of what Josh Allen feels like. But, you know, the guy behind that Lamar Jackson led offense was Greg Roman, but he really didn't get a sniff at a head coaching job. And they gave him a nice little bump in pay, if I'm if I recall correctly. And I wonder if maybe that's that's a potential track like like you mentioned for for Dable. I mean, if if he's not going to get a head coaching job, I don't know if it if it gets much better for him than to be in Buffalo, based on this is where he's from, loves it here, and he's a he's a Buffalo guy through and through. He's made that well known over the last few years. Um, but but yes, it it will be very intriguing to see how that that kind of plays out throughout the rest of the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's, let's get to the defense because... This was a, you know, it was a lot of fun for fans on offense outside of when Josh Allen got injured. Um, But on the defensive side of things, it was not so fun for fans, specifically the ones uh, on Twitter. And there was a lot of reactions to what the Bills were doing. The Raiders had the ball three times in the first half. All three were scoring drives. Only one of them was a touchdown drive. So the Raider or the Bills at least deserve some credit for stopping them short of the end zone a couple of couple of times. However, it wasn't ideal because the Bills weren't forcing them to punt. the 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 pass defense was it was a little shoddy, and it really seemed like the Raiders could do some damage but then in the second half they turned it all around and they after they allowed a field goal right at the start of the the second half they put together four straight drives that resulted in zero points for the Raiders two of which were turnovers one was a turnover on downs another was a punt and it helped the Bills get to a 30 to 16 lead and the rest was history uh, from, from that point forward. The Raiders, of course, put together a, a late touchdown, but that was kind of garbagey. It, it was garbage-ish, um, garbage time-ish, I should say. But what, what were your impressions of, of the defense and what they were able to do and whether or not this is a there are signs of optimism or signs of pessimism re- moving forward with them? I think... There, I understand the pessimism. Uh, I, I def- As do I. I definitely do because I think this this defensive showing. You know, they're sitting there late in the fourth quarter. You know, only sixteen points allowed, um, and certainly, you know the you know say what you will about the the touchdown. It ends up at twenty three. Even if you you take it on the surface at at sixteen before that touchdown. It mm-hmm. felt like they were fortunate to be at only 16, and it felt like because John Gruden wasn't aggressive on fourth down, uh, they kind of lucked out, you know, settling for field goals instead of going for touchdowns and not going for it in, in a, a couple different spots. You know, he, he kind of left some opportunities out there. He didn't really, you know, step on the 
the, the bill's throat uh, when when he could have. And as he was doing that, I thought to myself, like, this is probably going to cost him. Like, the, the way the Bills' offense puts up yards and points uh, this season, settling for three points, you know, that would have worked against the Bills last year for sure. You could chip away at them with three points here and there. But it just didn't seem like, especially on, like, fourth and one and two, the, the way uh, they were doing it. So there was that, and then you had, you know, the fumble, forced fumble by Josh Norman was excellent. Um, you know, it was a play that really, I, I thought, you know, turned around the game because they get that fumble and fumble recovery, and Dable immediately dials up the deep pass to Stephon Diggs. And right there, it felt like, you know, they kind of had control of the game at, from that point forward. But this was a defense that bent a lot, didn't break in part because of John Gruden's doing, and then got a few timely turnovers and a few you know timely plays that helped them survive. Uh, otherwise, they didn't play that well. Now, Josh J- Jacobs didn't really get going. He only had 48 yards, and he got a little banged up. Uh, the, the Raiders ran for 86 yards total. 20 of that was Derek Carr on scrambles. So they got that part of it shored up a little bit, but mm-hmm. I would say a lot of it. Yeah. Against running backs, anyway. Yeah. They were certainly much better than they were against Daryl Henderson. And a lot of what I think the Rams did was scheme related. You heard them, you know, talking about Sean McVay using some of the same runs that got to them uh, over the last few years uh, in some of their, wor- you know, worse run defending games. So I, I think, you know, whenever it's something like that that they can identify, they're usually pretty good at, at getting it together. But yeah, I, they were. L- they were not good on third down. Uh, they let up a lot of plays on third down. It felt like the Raiders left a lot out there. They were moving the ball all day. They just couldn't hit, you know, couldn't finish drives and, and couldn't hit on the right plays. Not the worst performance on defense, but I don't think the defense was the reason they won the game either. I think it was, again, an off a, a day where the offense kind of uh, carried things. The defense did its part, though. Got the timely plays, got the turnovers yeah. that mattered, um, got home on the pass rush. And frankly, this year in the NFL, when teams are putting up points the way that they are, to have a defense that you know is capable of that type of thing, getting those turnovers and and holding defenses when they get deep in in their own territory, then you can or holding an offense when when they get you deep in your own territory. I, I think. That's about, you know, all you can ask for. Nobody's really playing that good a defense uh, in the NFL in 2020. A lot of the rules are favoring offense more and more. They're not calling offensive holding as often and, um, you know, a host of other penalties that are are making it even tougher to play defense than, it, than it's been. So well, I understand the pessimism. I understand the frustration. This defense isn't what it was last year. I don't know if it's coming back or not. It's in there somewhere. There's ingredients of it in there somewhere. And there's still, you know, they still have good players on that side of the ball capable of making these these plays when it matters. So as long as the offense keeps it up, I don't think the defense is that big of a concern. But it's certainly not the defense everybody expected coming into the year. Yeah, and I also think you, you have to – put it in context a little bit which we've tried to do over the last couple of weeks that scoring around the NFL is is up and yeah I'm sure most fans have seen that by now but even just taking the Thursday game and all of the Sunday games um, the, the Bills were tied for the seventh fewest points allowed to today um, at 23 uh, I think the the fewest points allowed was 11, if I'm not mistaken. But it, it, there's not a lot of overwhelming defensive performances from a points perspective all all across the league. So uh, it's it's not as though the Bills are alone in this. But I do get the frustration, and they need to be better in specific areas. Like Taron Johnson had another rough go, I think, again today. AJ Klein was unplayable today in coverage. Uh, and the Raiders, I think, made a mistake by not forcing him on the field more because when he was on the field and they threw, they could usually take advantage of him. Uh, and it was telling that when 
Matt Milano was injured, the first play that uh, that he was injured, AJ Klein came on, and the Bills. That was the Josh Norman fumble play. The ensuing drive for the Raiders, Klein was no longer on the field with Edmonds. It was Edmonds and Tyrell Dodson the rest of the way. So it was uh, kind of a telling thing there from from that perspective. But I also think that this the performance of the Bills defense, keeping in mind that they just went up against probably the best offensive mind in the NFL and Sean McVay last week, that I don't think it's as humongous as humongous of a problem as some maybe were making it out to be today. I think there it's probably in the middle, just like it usually always is. Uh, where it's never as good or as bad as it always seemed as it seems at the moment. Um, I think for the Bills, they showed some definitive signs of improvement, specifically against against the run. And you know they ma- they made adjustments to help stop the run. Uh, the passing defense needs to come together a little bit here, and th- that that stems from getting more consistent pressure on the quarterback, which they did in spots, but it wasn't nearly consistent enough because if you knock car off a spot uh it's you're, you're probably going to have a good rep because then if the first read isn't there and and there's some pressure on him then you know you're going to get them to kind of get a little squirrely there but they need to do a better job of that so by showing the signs of improvement i think they're starting to find themselves a little bit here but you know they they do need to make some some major strides in passing defense and uh, and with more consistent pressure on the quarterback. That's for sure. Yeah, they're you know I, I don't know what some of the missing ingredients are, but I, I think they're still. This has just been such a strange year so far in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, the way really teams has. are scoring points, and I can't put my finger on the exact reason and i don't know that a lot of these guys can either but i have to think some of it has to do with the crowds um you know at least you know certainly for home teams but i think crowds in general um there's an energy there um that's a little bit different i don't know it's it's hard to explain it's it's hard to explain with this group in particular i think they've still got some players playing well um and that's the encouraging sign but you know they might be showing signs of being an imperfect team i, I think yeah cornerback that's fine uh, yeah most teams are <laughs> right you know the, and good news is they've got you know the other side of the ball making up for it i think you know they're probably going to need you know an, another cornerback or two um in the draft mm-hmm. next year which i know they won't shy away from um they love taking cornerbacks that and they'll probably sign one or something who who knows maybe josh norman will will continue what he did uh late in that game and and be a guy that can provide a spark for this defense matt milano left with an injury which not good obviously um certainly not he's among the most important players on that side of the ball but yeah they're just um you know, it's hard to play defense in the NFL this year, apparently. And that's going to be a reality, and the Bills aren't going to be immune from that. But they do have they do have the coaching. They have all the pieces, all the ingredients that were still there. Um, other than, you know, a couple of players, uh, Jordan Phillips, Shaq Lawson. But you have to think they'll come back around a little bit, but I wouldn't be expecting them to dominate teams. Yeah. Unless we see, you know, some sort of uh, regression from these offenses around the league or we see some major coming of age moment for a, a few of the players on the Bills defense. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I'm I'm in uh, complete agreement with you there. All right. Let's give away some awards for uh, the Bills fourth consecutive victory to begin the season. And believe we'll kick it off with the Dree Archer no what, what do we even start with anymore I don't even remember uh, I believe Dree uh, usually leads it off yeah yeah 
Yeah, let's go, let, let, let's go with Dre Archer. You got any uh, fierce candidates for that, um, for the player that didn't show up at all today? I'm going to go with TJ Yeldon. Um, Ooh, okay. With Zach Moss inactive, he was a guy that um, could have had a role in theory and did not have a single rushing attempt, had one target in the passing game and did not catch it. And I think that... I think he had like seven or eight snaps today. I think it kind of tells you what they think of him. Uh, He was sort of a body there in case Devin Singletary got hurt. But, you know, without Mott, they have two top backs. And after that, they, they don't really... Um, they don't see Yeldon as a guy that they need to work into any sort of rotation. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually you can tell how they feel about a guy, especially when there was a clear path to a workload and he didn't get any of it. So, um, yeah, I'll I'll give TJ Yeldon the Dree Archer here. All right. We'll uh, we'll move on to the Vontae Davis Award for the player who did not show up in the second half. And I want to make sure I have these stats correctly. Uh, Correct, I should say. I'm going to give it to Zay Jones, who came out uh, and was a a great, great player in the early stages. I think he had, like, what, three catches on the first drive alone for the Raiders? By the end of the first half, four catches for 32 yards. What did he do in the second half? Drop a pass that could have been a huge gain. And not catch a single pass the rest of the way in the second half. So it's not a Bills player, but certainly Zay Jones, a former Bills Bills player that you know fans know pretty well. I think it was uh, his performance in the second half was left, left a bit to be desired. Where was he? I didn't see him outside of the drop. It didn't really contribute much to what the Raiders were doing. So Zay Jones gets the Vontae Davis. Um, next up is the, oh God, why can't I think the Blaine Gabbert award for perseverance? Of course. Yeah. I'm going to give it to Josh Norman. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great one because, you know, he had the injury. He wasn't very good at the end of his career in Washington. Um, blames it on a variety of factors. Uh, kind of subtly um, or not so subtly when he speaks with us. Um, very enter- entertaining guy to talk to. He's super, super uh, eloquent and uh, he's got a certain charm to him uh, as, as a talker. But misses, then he you know comes here, supposed to be a fresh start, good scheme fit, all that, hurts his hamstring, misses the first three weeks. And then he goes out there and you know, made the play of the game, really. Uh, the the one that, mm-hmm. you know, turned the game around, at least uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, brought more Yeah, because energy. they were driving on that on that one. Yeah, if they, if they you know, after he had gotten run over by Darren Waller, I mean, he had the, the perseverance in this game alone. Uh, he got run over by Darren Waller and went right back to him and punched the ball out later in the game. I think he brought a little bit of energy to the defense, um, you know, kind of – they do seem to be missing a little bit of that that Jordan Phillips Shaq Lawson uh, energy that they had last year, and I think part of that's you know playing in empty stadiums and all that. But um, you know those guys, there was a they didn't need a a crowd to get going. Uh, Phillips and Lawson, that and who fills that role for this defense? I think it could be Norman mm-hmm. because I, most of the other guys aren't all that loud uh or, or you know they don't bring that that juice the same way so maybe it's norman uh, you're saying matt milano is not the talkative type he's not very talkative tremaine edmonds <laughs> isn't very talkative poyer and hyde will are, are chatty they're they're talkative guys they communicate um but in terms of bringing that that extra juice um and you know talking trash or you know getting in in the opponent's face a little bit norman feels like like he's got more of that than almost anybody on this defense. So a welcome addition, and mm-hmm. and he gets the Blaine Gabbard Award on on top of it. I hope he's got room on his shelf. I'll give an honorable mention Blaine Gabbard Perseverance Award to Daryl Johnson, who only got one defensive snap in the first half, and then 
They gave him a random opportunity on a third down and helped pin Derek Carr in the backfield for uh, one of the Bills' first stops in in the second half. It was uh, the Vernon Butler sack on third down that forced the punt. Uh, so that that was partially due to Daryl Johnson. And then later on in the game when at, at, they had that fresh in their mind, they threw him back in there, and he helped pin the pocket for Quentin Jefferson to get a strip sack and force another turnover. So Daryl Johnson, award for perseverance. Only a few snaps, handful of snaps, but made made him count. So, so good for him. Um, and then the Sean McDermott gotta watch the tape award. Uh, I gotta go with AJ Klein for this one because he had 10 snaps out there and you could probably go, Hey Sean, what was, what was the reason for, uh, for AJ Klein coming off the field, um, for, for Tyrell Dodson and, and why, why did it seem that there was, uh, some, some gains over the middle of the field when you were in in a base defense uh, when when Klein was on the field. Oh, you know, like, you know, gotta watch the tape, of course, right? Well, that's what he ha- he actually did use the phrase today in his uh, he did in his press conference when asked about the Raiders' success on third down. Uh, he said, "I'll give them credit. We have to do a better job, but I have to look at the film to see exactly where it was." Oh, uh, well, that's the real winner then. So he he was he was all over it, um, and who knows? Maybe some of that was Klein indirectly. So maybe he was mm-hmm. uh, he was already covering for his guy there. But yeah, that was, um, and you know, I'm also a li- I'm not usually one to point to the refs i think it's like a a pretty silly thing to do in general i mean calls Mm -hmm. go both ways all the time but i couldn't really figure out that john brown no touchdown i was a little confused um that was very silly so maybe they should watch more tape on that i don't know i couldn't figure it out um i was i was i will say i was half surprised as well that sean mcdermott didn't say he would have to watch the tape when asked about the titans situation next week uh, but he did give a, a legit answer to that at the end of the, yeah, at the end of the game. But that that's uh, that's something to watch as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think it's got to go. The got to watch the tape award has to go to the one the one thing that that Sean McDermott actually said he'll have to watch the tape on. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's that's fair. That's fair. Okay, and it all kind of clumps together probably i would assume anyway all right um well i think that does it for us the bills are 4-0 and if they'll play in week five we will find out as the week goes on as of today there was another positive test reportedly um or a couple of them uh one player one one staff member uh with the titans so in order for their operations to start to open up, they have to have some consecutive days of zero positive uh, tests. So we'll have to see if this extends too far into the week. We might be looking at potentially them shifting the game to a Monday, maybe a Tuesday. Maybe they they say, hey, we'll, we'll figure this out. And the bills, you have a buy um this weekend so uh, there there's going to be a trickle down effect here too because if let's say the titans they start having consecutive days where they don't have positive tests around like wednesday or thursday starting those days then maybe the nfl goes okay well let's let's target monday or tuesday which then could probably would push the bills chiefs thursday night game which would be a shame because that would be an awesome prime time game between those two teams so we'll just have to we'll just have to see how this week plays out there we we there's no way to predict how this how this week is going to happen yeah it's weird because the both of the current covid situations in the nfl the titans and I guess Patriots Chiefs uh, is sort of a tandem right. there. They think they're going to play tomorrow night. They might not. Um, the right. the Patriots and Chiefs, but yeah, they're both in Week Six. You know, the Bills are kind. Of, the, those are the Bills' next two opponents, the Titans and the Chiefs. So they're kind of 
intertwined. And the fact that that game is on Thursday night football really limits the options for the NFL unless they want to make two scheduling changes uh, and move that game right. to Sunday, which wouldn't be that difficult. But I don't think that would be their ideal scenario either from a TV contract standpoint. It's a little different yeah. than moving it from, you know, because then you're talking about, you know, that game will be on local TV, but it'll be on NFL Network. I, I don't think it'll be – it wouldn't be what they would want. So – Right. I feel like they're going to try to protect Thursday night football, but the Titans need to get in get in the damn building if they're going to do that. And right now, I think right. the earliest they can get in there is Wednesday, which would work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'd be fine, but um, that would require a couple good days in a row here, which it's not really up to them. So, um, yep. you know, we'll see. Tomorrow's a Monday is a big day for the Titans because if they get zero and then they get zero again on on Tuesday, then they can start to, you know, motion towards potentially playing this this coming weekend. But, you know, if that gets delayed, then all bets are off. We'll see what the virus has to Uh, say about it. Yeah, I know. I know. The virus has to watch the tape. Yes. I think it's been watching a lot of tape. Yeah, it's probably right. All right, Matthew Fairburn, any uh, fond words of farewell th- this this early morning for our uh, listeners of the Buffalo Beat? Keep taking the over. It's hitting all over the league <laughs> until further notice. Especially the Cowboys-Browns. Did you watch that game? Oh, yeah. That game was insane. Yeah, that I saw something that week four, the last like three years, the Browns have put up ridiculous point totals. Something about week four is just an anomaly for the Browns. Uh, and then D- Dak Prescott goes over 500 yards today. That's just silly. The only one ahead of Josh Allen at the moment. Mm. Well, yeah, l- lots of points. I th- I was thinking for a little bit I would be good on on the under, but damn Derek Carr, he he uh, he had to sneak up and. And get the. I'll be honest. By the way, I thought it actually hit the under because I thought it was fifty three and a half, but it was fifty two and a half, right? Yeah, fifty two and a half. So, the, so and, bare, barely cleared. While I was watching, I was thinking fifty three and a half, and I was thinking, man, that Tyler Bass extra point really crushed some people that took my advice. <laughs> and but no, it was fifty two and a half. So he was well, good. I, I guess it depends. I guess it depends when you locked it in, but but yeah, the, the last I saw, but right before the game was fifty two and a half. So look at you, Overs. You win. All right. That'll do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another post-game edition of the Buffalo Beat. Uh, We will next talk to you during the week and what we hope will be a preview edition of the podcast. But if that game winds up getting pushed and the Bills end up with a bye week, we'll we'll probably do like a a bigger picture um, episode just to – yeah, set the table for maybe things to come, how the season might shape, all that good stuff. So we'll 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 get something for you as as the week goes along here. All right. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you all for listening to this episode, and we will talk to you later in the week. See you then.